Welcome to the Rockman Podcast, the podcast brought to you by Rockman, the running and fitness challenge brand for those with a deep desire to test and further their limits and live a healthier life with fortitude. At Rockman, we provide the challenges, sportswear, content and community to motivate you to push your body, strengthen your mind and achieve your next level of health, fitness and mental resilience. You can sign up and become a member of the team at rockman.co.uk. If you'd like to be notified about new podcast releases, then be sure to hit the subscribe button below. And if you take any value from this podcast, please be sure to give us the thumbs up, leave us a review or share it via your socials. So in order for us to know which episodes are good, which are bad, we would really appreciate some feedback or engagement. Now, without further ado, I'm Terry Rosamond, Rockman founder, and I hope you enjoy. There we go, recording in progress. Paul Mitter, welcome to the Rockman podcast. How are you doing? As it's only, I know, 11 days since your epic journey. Yeah, thank you for having me, Terry. And I'm feeling quite good. I'm getting back into normality and starting to um, get the work done that I've been building up over the last seven months. Oh, I bet, I bet there's been stuff you wanted to get done, but you can't do it until you're sat at a computer. But did you just say seven months you were on the road, right? Yeah, seven months on the 1st of March, nonstop, all around the coastlines of England, Scotland, Wales, Northern Ireland, Isle of Wight, um, every single six days a week up until the 1st of October. That's incredible. And what, what, was, the, what was the reason? Why, why, why did you get out and do this run? Yeah, I mean, I've always been a sportsman. I've always liked challenges, but I can tell you hands down, there's no way I would ever have even contemplated this run if it wasn't for the purpose behind it. And after spending 18 years in the armed forces, in the army, um, done five frontline tours, towards the end of my time, unfortunately, I lost lots and lots of friends uh, who took their lives. And eventually it became, I got to a point where I was like, we're not have, I'm not going to sit back and just watch this happen no more. Um, left the army with three other uh, armed forces personnel and we set up a charity called Head Up Charity. And the whole point of the run was we're a brand new charity. We're like, how do you get the word out there? How do you let people know who you are? How do you make as much noise as possible? And because we're all about mental health and mental resilience and improving our mental well-being, I thought what better way than incorporating that by running 5,000 miles and breaking world records along the way and letting people see how good it is to be outside, moving, being in nature, talking to people, deep breathing and just doing all the, the basics right, really. Yeah, and how, um, how, how much money did you raise in the end through this challenge? So at the charity in our first year, uh, we raised just over £400,000. Um, the, the actual run side of it, probably more like 160000 um, but it was all about the awareness, talking to people. So during the run, over 700 people joined me running. Um, I stayed with over 200 different people throughout the run and thousands of people came out to support and even more um, tuned into social medias, um, media TV, radio stations, newspapers, magazines. So the word is out there and we're letting people know who we are and how they can use our services. Yeah, so what's the charity that you've uh, founded? Did you say with two other people? Uh, heads up, right? Uh, head up, head up charity. Head up. Yep. And there's four of us in total, all veterans, all extremely passionate about the cause. And what we're doing is we're developing a seven day positive mindset retreat where anyone in the armed forces or any veteran from any service that's over five million people can access it, access it completely for free for seven days and just learn multiple different 
holistical methods on how they can improve their day-to-day life and giving them a bit more control and a few more tools in their box and how they can make themselves feel better. Are we going to see the other three on a challenge, on your next yeah. challenge with you next? <laughs> Not my next challenge. We all no. set up a challenge each. We're all really big challenges. I'm happy to talk about what they've got. Um, yeah, go on. What, the have first... got? what have they got coming yeah, up? So, so um, I came up with a 5,000 mile run around the UK. I, I really do feel like I dipped out a bit there, um, but it's done now so I can put my feet up. The next guy called Simon Maloney, CGC, which is a, a high bravery award. He is in, I think, July 4th next year. He's climbing Mont Blanc, which is the biggest mountain in Europe. He gets down from there. He then cycles over 800 kilometers to Calais. Then from Calais, he kayaks the channel to Dover. And then from Dover, he runs to London just over 100 miles. Jesus. So that's, is that like a triathlon or something or something? But, yeah, four, four, four <laughs> different sports. He's calling it. Um, what's he calling it? Summit to city, Summit, um, city. from yeah. one country to another. So it's incredible. And then the other two, George Dagnall and Adam Carrier, they're rowing the Atlantic over three thousand miles, trying to break a world record. So is there an element of one-upmanship here? Like you've all got to sort of outdo the last person? No, no, not at all. No, um, you would think so. You would think so, but it's def- certainly not like that. It was I came up with my run. Then the other two said they were they were going to row, and then Simon was like, "Oh, nice one, guys. I'm not just going to." not do anything so he came up with a challenge himself and um you know like i say we're all very passionate for the cause and it's a great way of not just raising awareness for the charity and for mental health but actually showing people how passionate as founders as trustees of a charity how passionate we are and we're asking people to fundraise for us and asking people to donate so we've got a lead by example and um you know not ask someone to do something that we're not willing to do or sacrifice ourselves yeah, exactly that. You're leading from the front there. No, I, I know you were saying that there's, there's a deep purpose behind that. And obviously the, the head up um, sort of charity that you've uh, created and founded with the guys. And obviously there's there's a lot of reasons why that was um, created. But I'd like to take you back maybe before the, the reasons came about. But when you joined the military, sort of what, what, were, you, why, what were you looking for then? And, and, um, and why, why did you go down the path of uh, a military career? Well, if I'm being completely honest, people join for multiple different reasons. Some people come from poor backgrounds and don't really feel like they've got much to go into or they're looking for um, a network of people that they feel safe around. Um, Some go in because it's a great career path and you can get a lot of qualifications from it. And some go in simply because, and it's hard to explain sometimes, but through thousands of years of probably fighting and in our DNA, some of us just have that sort of warrior uh, mindset and that, that want to go and do good or fight on the battlefield. And I think that's the category I came under. And I remember being eight years old, watching a command, Royal Marine Commando programme on ITV, I think it was, and it just it stuck with me ever since. And it's, I, I never wanted to do anything else. And I used to watch war films and just imagine myself and visualise myself on, on the battlefield. And... So I joined as soon as I could when I was 16 years old and I had, a, I had a thoroughly good time. I really enjoyed it and I felt like it was something that I was naturally good at. Mm. And what is it that resonated with you then, um, with the army? It was a, what, what about it did you really enjoy? Um, being in the army, so I'm a big sportsman, I love sports. And in the army, you get paid no matter what happens. You're never not going to get a pay. And I've travelled around the world doing Nordic skiing, Alpine skiing, at, good levels. I've played rugby, football, um, basketball, 
I've sailed around all different parts of the world. Um, I've done multiple other sports from bodybuilding and all other stuff. And I get paid. I got paid to do it, you know, and I've done it at a good level. And um, but then you had that fun side. You have got a good group of friends around you. You're very close. Your bond is almost unbreakable. You do anything for each other. Um, you've got a good career path. Um, but for me, mainly, it was I could be completely honest. I joined when Iraq war kicked off um 2003 or 2001 where it was and i remember watching it on news being 16 years old so i want to be part of that and i'd done five tours in total four four in afghanistan one in iraq and i was on the front line every time and it was something that i i felt i felt good at it's something it was my strength um i was some people when they go on the front line it can be very daunting, very scary, and it always is going to be so, to some sort of extent, but it certainly tests your minerals. And when you've got rounds flying by by you every single day and you, you're going through doors, you don't know what's on the other side and things are happening all around you, it's, it really pushes you to the, the limit and the edge of where your mind can take you. And I, and I felt like I flourished in it. And at what point did, did it start to change for you? So I came back from my fourth tour of Afghanistan. And by this point, just to put it in some sort of context, um, when I was 20 years old on my first uh, tour, I got blown up by rocket propelled grenades. And somehow in this ambush, three of us survived it. Everyone else didn't. And we had to fight our way out. Um, fast forward a couple more tours, I got blown up again um, with an M5 explosive device. And again, there's lots of injuries and I, I managed to survive it. Um, and then this is almost like a daily occurrence with different things happening. And after my fourth tour, I came back and I really started to suffer with paranoia, um, a feeling or an emotion that I'd never experienced before. Didn't really know what, what was going on. And it was just simply because I was on such a high level of alertness through all these tours and everything that's going on. I, I, I was never taught to bring myself back down or to calm myself or bring myself at peace. So I was just always flying at a million miles higher thinking, that different things were happening and um yeah i just i i could barely leave the house because i thought everyone was talking about me i was looking through the curtains and uh, and the turning point really was unfortunately when i was in london one day in piccadilly i saw a man with a bag on his back and i convinced myself he had a bomb in it and i ended up jumping on him holding his hands down and telling everyone he's got a bomb and to run away and everyone did and the bomb squad came in called in the area checked him out and then put me in handcuffs and took me away and that was kind of a, a real like wow you know what is going on in my head yeah and but uh, what, what what happened after that did, were you then were you diagnosed at that point or did, did you did you get any help um a couple of things were said you know do you think you need help do you think this and I was like no I'm fine um putting a brave face on it was just a silly incident I don't know what happened um so actually straight after that I got sent to Afghanistan again for another nine more months which were, you know, in my head, I thought was the right thing. I was like, if I'm going to be thinking like this, I might as well do it in a place where it's justified. But that's not really the answer. Um, you know, what should have happened really is I should have been taught different ways to calm myself back down again. Mm. And at one point, did um, did you did you get help? At one point, did were you pulled and said, you know, some, something's going wrong here, Paul, like uh, the cracks are starting to show. But did, what, what happened there? Yeah, I mean, it took some time. It took some time and lots of different negative events happening in between that. Um, and But I was very lucky. I had a doctor on my base who'd known me through my whole career. 
and he was he'd call me aside every now and then and say, Paul, I want to I want you to come to my office. I want to talk about some stuff. And I put it off for so long, probably about 18 months, and until things were starting to show quite obviously to a lot of people. And he'd be like, Paul, the door's open and you need to come in and speak to me. Um, and then one day I did. I went and spoke to him and got a bit of help. Um, but unfortunately for me, I didn't find the help in the armed forces the right way of helping what was wrong with me at the time. For example, the first thing he'd done was put me on medication for six weeks, which instantly I, I felt quite a, like a bigger, bigger victim than I'd ever felt in my life. And I didn't feel like I needed medication. I just wanted, to, I wanted someone to show me how to feel, how I could make myself feel better. Um, and then after that, I had to go and talk to psychiatrists. But every time I spoke to someone, I was in a military environment. And I said to my doctor quite early on, I said, look, I'm never going to get help here. And he said, why? And I... I said, I'm still in the military environment, which is surely that's where the trauma is coming from. I said, if I was a burns victim, you wouldn't treat me next to an open fire. Or if I was a road traffic accident, in a road traffic accident, you wouldn't treat me next to a road. I said, so why am I getting help in an armed forces environment? And the only response really was, this is all we've got. Um, so I took myself away for three months. He signed me off sick. I moved away, completely away from the military environment and learned multiple different ways and how I can improve my own mental well-being and, and my mental resilience through nutrition, breathing techniques, affirmations, journaling, gratitude, visualization, um, animal therapy, music therapy, cold water therapy, stoicism, law of attraction. And I really went into them. And within weeks, I started to feel so much better. Mm-hmm. And, and th- th- reading your um, your bio and your your website, this is this you're not like a an isolated case this it seems like it's 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 quite common uh amongst the military service right it's extremely common extremely common and there's multiple different reasons why you know life in general can be difficult we've got financial family social problems everything's happening in in the western world which is can be very conflicting and if we don't have ways to make ourselves feel more at peace and, and feel better than it's kind of living in limbo and it's a negative spiral. But then if you're in the armed forces, and I'm not um, putting down the armed forces because I love them, I'm a big advocate of the armed forces, but when it when it has historically come to mental health, they have, in my opinion, not done the right thing. But what they're very good at is getting you to a really good level of um, war, war battle ready, ready for war to go to go into bullets to run through bullets to run kick down doors to do the stuff you have to do to see the things you have to see you have to be in that mindset and it's the right mindset to be like playing rugby you wouldn't go into a tackle half half-hearted and you can't be on a battlefield going in half-hearted either or people going to get hurt um but what they don't do is they don't bring you back down again so they, they take they put you up there they they you are now a hardened battled warrior you really are and then you're back into society again to fend for yourself and you're you you've still got that mindset and then you go back out and you come back and you go back out and you're constantly feeding on becoming battle ready but you're never put back into society again um which is where i think a lot of people are still struggling with so you're out of the military now right yeah well, i left in november 2020 to form head up charity and the the other founders were they friends of yours in the military or these people that you met afterwards two of them were very close friends that i'd been to afghanistan with and worked with very closely and another one is a close friend of another um another one of the 
uh, founders. So it, between us all, we all knew of each other and uh, we all had very strong beliefs and we all practice holistical method, holistical ways and how we can improve ourselves. We all help our friends as much as possible. So it was just the perfect synergy for us all to come together. Yeah, I was looking at the list of um, offerings on the, the website as well. And it, it was a lot of the stuff that you actually mentioned there. It was uh, the, the stoicism. Um, was it cold water? God, I don't know if I'm making this up. I've got it open, actually. I can, should, we, should we have a look? So this the retreat, right? It's the nutrition and fitness hormones, meditation, therapies, or retracted, all these things, anger management. It's it, it it looks like you're hitting all the pillars of well-being there. Because I, I do find that the word well-being, it, it, it maybe, it conjures up the wrong. For me, I don't know about you, Paul, but when I hear the word, word well-being, I, I sort of think of uh, weakness because it's often associated with the negative aspects it's the suffering when we talk about well-being we talk about the suffering but all that list there that you've listed on your uh, on your website it's all about strength and empowerment and uh, and i love that and i, I wish we could change the way that well-being is seen as well um and it, it's almost it's a superpower because when you're when you've got it honed in when um you are this enhanced version of yourself you, you're sort of able to handle anything that gets thrown your way would you agree with that absolutely and when i said i went i went away for three months i put all this stuff into practice stuff that i've never even a lot of it i never heard of or i've never paid attention to and within two to three weeks i'd felt better than i'd ever done in my whole life by mm. far and then i started speaking to friends who i knew were struggling and i said look let me just talk you through some of these different methods I've been practicing. And they started feeling better. And then they told their friends. And before you know it, I had within about four or five weeks of me practicing all this stuff, I had about 30 people I was talking to daily, just feeding through this different stuff. And lots and lot most vast majority of them done really well. And it's a couple of amazing stories from them, from the people I helped. And and I knew from then that more needed to be done. And I wanted to, that's the direction I wanted to go in. Yeah, it's crazy. You said you spoke to loads of people and you had 30 people following you. It's, uh, it's amazing how many people are sort of um, living in this, this silent suffering um, or desperation, you know, and they have no outlet. They sort of have not, they don't have this guidance. Um, so that's why charities like yours are, are really important. Um, which is your favourite out of that list? What would you say you had the, most, the biggest benefit from? I'd probably say nutrition. Um... What I think we struggle with as a society when we talk to nutrition or advise people on nutrition is we say, this food is good for you, this bad is, this food is bad for you, uh, drink, whatever. Um, but what we don't say is why. And when I delved into it, I started looking at the microbiome and, and, and the gut health and the link that we have from the food that we, that we do or don't put in our body and, and drink. And then what happens in the body and then what happens when with the connection with the gut and the brain and how then that affects our moods throughout the day. And it's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. And in the Western world, we are just feeding ourselves so many chemicals and toxins. It's unbelievable. And really, when you really go into it, it's actually like mind boggling that, you know, that any of us are still actually surviving. Um, but yeah, nutrition is huge, huge. Yeah. If you can get your nutrition on point. And your gut health mainly you what's going to happen is incredible and i've seen it over and over again yeah i, I want to take you on to back onto your challenge if that's all right as well so you you said that um you you basically all 
each one of your founders were like, right, we've got to do a big challenge. We've got to get out there. We've got to lead from the front and do it. Um, what, what did what did a typical day look like for you? You know, what, what sort of mileage were you covering? What's the elevation? Um, how much pain were you in? Where, where were you staying? Where were you sleeping? Yeah, so I set off on the 1st of March. I, I had a plan. I planned every single route. So not one day was the same. So the, what I wanted to do was I wanted to average around 30 miles a day. And I'm not a long distance runner. I was never, a long, okay, I probably am now, but I was never a long distance runner. Um, and I actually put down 15 miles a day. And then when I put it on the on the map, plotted out the route, it took me a year and a half. And I was like, there's no way, <laughs> there's no way I'm going to be out for that long. So then just quick maths, I made it 30 miles a day. And then, so that the shortest day was 18 miles of running. The longest was 42 miles of running. Um, averaged out 29.6 in the end. Um, I had a 10 kilogram bag on my back with all the essentials in and I was going over the coastline. So as you can only imagine, every single bit of ground that you can cover. So sand, gravel, rocks, loose rocks, steel rocks, cliff edges, farms, muddy farms, streams, rivers, everything. It was, and each day was just so different, which I really liked. It was an adventure. So I start off my day and over 700 people join me running throughout this run. So I'd often be met with random people who didn't really know who I was, but they'd heard about it and they'd come and join me for a mile or two, or sometimes even up to six days, I had the longest someone stayed with me. Um, and then I'd get to the end and then I'll meet a family that I've never met before and they're going to take me in and they greet me and I go back and do my post-admin and then we have dinner and we talk and then I go and do some quick work on a charity, then get to some sleep, wake up in the morning and the process starts again. Jesus, non-stop. <laughs> so did you ever have time to just relax? Um, I had one rest day a week and that was just purely work, catching up with work because I'm still the head of operations for this charity. So I'm dealing with uh, what also on the run, I was having business meetings, I was giving talks to schools, to establishments, to ch other charities. I was meeting multiple different people that could hopefully help connect and network with our charity. Um, so it was it was for the very full on. So my rest days were often full doing that. How hard did it get? Because it must have got hard at, at points. I, it was very difficult. If I was to sit here now after it's all finished, you go, oh, that was easy. I'd be lying. Like I was in pain, especially at the beginning. Like my muscles and my knees and my legs my back, my hips, none of it knew what was going on. The shock was incredible. Um, and I just, I was like, come on, just keep pushing through this. Just get through it. Come on. Um, and then it was day after day. Um, but I guess the hardest bit was the environment. So heavy winds. And I was in Scotland in March and April. That, you know, when you're running into winds with a bag on your back uphill, you might as well just be rolling down it backwards, you know? So um, there was that. And then I had a few silly injuries as well I, I, I slipped in the shower one day and cracked two ribs and that was quite painful for <laughs> for quite some time so you you run a you run five thousand miles and it's the slipping in the shower that gets you that was the one that got me yeah, yeah. i got i got bitten by an adder as well um Jesus. That, yeah i mean it sounds it probably about the worst but it wasn't that bad it, it all it done was my body had a fight at the top, uh, the Fenham, and I had a good night's sleep. 
that's all it was really. Um, probably the worst thing that I went through was, I don't know if you've ever heard of giant hogweed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when it, when it, when it breaks, um, it releases its, its stuff inside and I got it all over my legs. And it is, imagine if you were putting your hand over a candle, that sort of, like, oh, that's, that's what it felt like on my legs continuously for about 36 hours. Oh it was excruciating pain. But uh, again, I just had to get on through. I had to keep going because I knew I had to complete this challenge. But, I mean, were there any points where you thought, I'm, I'm going to sack this in or I, I, I need a couple of days off? Or How close were you to quitting or is that never an option? It was never an option. Um, I'd have to have fallen down a cliff edge and broken my back or something for that to have happened, honestly. And I'm not just saying it because I've got to the end. Um, I've told you how big of a purpose this was at the beginning for the amount of people I lost. Within the first two months of me running, another three friends of mine took their lives. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, so the purpose that, when you've got a purpose that big, nothing can stop you. I mean, you can you can train your mindset to do almost anything anyway, but when I know that when you're losing friends like that, it's just, it just that's, you don't need any other motiva motivation to keep you going. But also, the amount of people that came out to cheer me on, um, all these runners that I never met before, all the lovely messages, all the support, all the donations that were going through. When I was up in Scotland, they were pretty much past me from, from town to town. And I'd run through a town and the town previous had phoned them up and they would all be standing up do some sweets or some water or the town I'm finishing would be at 40 or 50 people standing outside just clapping me in so that it was just it was such a an amazing experience yeah I bet and how do you motivate yourself I mean did you have any sort of personal mantra or philosophy that you you lived by while you're out there uh yeah so when I was talking about how how much pain I was in and I was in pain throughout the days not always but there were often times especially lonely times when I'm just by myself and you know getting hailstones in my face and no one's even around um to keep yourself going and what I'd say is that pain is temporary and pride is forever and it's one of the reasons why I kept going through every adversity because I wanted people to see no matter how much physical emotional um psychological mental pain we go through on a daily basis or weekly monthly yearly basis if you just keep pushing on through that eventually that pain will subside but the pride you can have from getting through it will live with you forever so yeah pain is forever so wrong uh, pain is temporary pride is forever That's, yeah I, I, I said that every day constantly it, it complements our uh, ethos at Rockman, which is welcome the pain, embrace the suffering as well. So it complements it quite nicely because there's a reason why you're doing it. And it's it's for that pride at the end. There's a reason why you face that adversity. Um, what, what's the biggest lesson you've learned from that challenge? Oh, the biggest lesson I would say is to push those barriers. Um, I, I, I tried to do a count up the other day. I think it was something like 61 people who ran with me ran broke their pbs um some people had only run six miles and up running 34 miles with me um, and <laughs> they they never intended to never they came only wanted to join me for a few miles and i kept them with me and before they knew it they'd done it and they were like i would never in my wildest dreams thought i could have done this um and it was incredible i had a friend called Cy collins and he lost his leg in in, in the army and he joined me. And when he had two legs, he only ever ran 13 miles. And he joined me that day 
And I said, how far are you going to run with me today? And he said, the whole way. And I said, it's 28 miles today. He said, yeah, I'm doing it. And I thought, well, you know what? It's his mindset. He can do what he wants. I'm not going to tell him. And he done it. He, he, he done the whole 28 miles with one leg. And he was in so much pain. He wouldn't, he, he wouldn't tell me. Um, but I reckon that put him out for probably two or three weeks. But he knew, you know, that this disability didn't disable him. Um, so I'd say the biggest lesson would be don't let fear get the better of you. Just go and give it a go. Don't yeah. go a million miles an hour. Just go and enjoy it. Take your time. And then once you've done it, then you maybe next time you can go a million miles an hour and see how you do that time. But just just go and do it. Don't be afraid. That's brilliant. That that that, that just shows actually that as you're on this run, you know what you're you're seeing firsthand while you're doing it. You're seeing the effect it's having on all these people around you. Um so yeah, it's really it's it's incredible. Well, obviously at Rockman, we're all about um mental resilience. That's what we're focused on. We're we're about increasing people's melting resilience which will have a positive uh, knock-on effect to their health and well-being and overall quality of life what's your understanding of mental resilience and obviously going through the the mental struggles that you had and you know the, and the challenges that you've undertaken how important of an aspect is that to life and challenges and just day-to-day living yeah mental resilience is something that we've all got we wouldn't be alive if we didn't have it. It's just knowing when to utilize it at the right times or when to, shall I say, um, different aspects of our lives, whether it be on a yearly or daily basis, it changes. Um, and so does your mental resilience need to change. It needs to change to your environment and where you are, um, what you're doing. Um, and you should, we should always be searching for the next thing because as we grow, we strengthen. And with our strengths, our weaknesses get stronger too. So which means our resilience needs to get stronger, which means quite often you need to go and find different ways to improve, strengthen, you, strengthen your resilience. And earlier on, you said, um, talk about well-being and, and the word itself. Um, sometimes it can have a bit of a negative effect. Well, a lot of people say, oh, I've got mental health. Like to me that I'm like, well, yeah, we've all got mental health. They're like, no, I've got bad mental health. I said, well, there you go. That's better. So now I understand you've got poor mental health. I said, because sometimes you know, I've got poor mental health and sometimes I've got good mental health, but I've always got mental health. It's a thing. But a lot of people just seem to use the word mental health in a negative light. It's like saying physical health. It's no different. You know, it's like saying I've got physical health. It's like, well, yeah, what? Is it good? Is it bad? Um, so, yeah, it's... Um, yeah, resilience is something that should be worked on on a daily basis. Mm. And what, what would be your advice for someone who's, who would want to uh, increase their mental resilience or uh, positively impact their mental well-being? I would say if you know people are doing stuff already, well, you will do. Just speak to people, see what they do. Um, but for me personally, the real mental resilience comes when you take control of it yourself kind of like what I did when I went away for three months and I put my head into the books. Everything is out there for us. Nothing's hidden. It's all over the internet. It's all over Google. YouTube is the best teacher anyone could ever have. So just go out there, take time out of your day. You know, don't watch a program for half an hour. Go and sit next to your laptop or your computer or your phone and just start YouTubing mental well-being, resilience, um, and just 
seeing all these different lists, go to our charity website page and have a look at the different lists that we've got and then delve into them a little bit more. And then once you've done that, go and put them into practice. And that's and when you do it yourself, you get some extra strength from that. And then once you've done that and you feel how good it is, go and share it with someone else and then see how good you feel when you share it with someone else and you, you see them improving as well. And that's how you create your tribe as well. It's, yeah. It's, it's like a... What's it like? Um, like a snowball effect, isn't it? But it's it's making that it's making that decision to to actually start uh, at the very start of it. Yeah. Um, what does the future hold for Paul? Then what's the next? What's next on the horizon? I'm surely a holiday, right? No, do you know what? <laughs> it's it's really weird because I actually see that run I just done as a big holiday. I know it seems a bit weird, but. I was meeting so many people. We were having laughs, or getting to the end. We were having barbecues, a few drinks, um, and I was doing it day after day. And uh, so, for me, I've done my travelling for a little bit. Um, it's real hard work now to get this. We've put the foundations in. Um, we've got a really big vision for a big charity um, with big plans. So, the hard work starts now. I'm the the only person really that works full-time on this charity to get get it to where we need it to be we've worked really hard in getting lots of the bits of the puzzle pieces and now it's time to put them together so the next 12 months so it's gonna be it's gonna be a very busy 12 months doing that um however i do have a another challenge that i want to do that I've, I've, I've had in my mind for the last five years um so hopefully in about 12 18 months and i'm I need, I need to find someone and do it with me. So hopefully I'll find the right person. Can you can you let, let slip what it is? Or is it a, a secret at this point? No, I can let slip because it's not, definitely not no big secret because I don't think anyone's going to go out there and try and do it, to be honest. But it's, um, and if you do, well done. But it's flipping an 80 kilogram tractor tire the length of a marathon. Jesus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, as, as much as this was all about endurance, but I, I've always been big into my strength from more overbody. So it's nice to mix a bit of strength and endurance together. How long would that take? Have you worked out? You must have crunched the numbers. Um, we think somewhere between 18 to 24 hours. Yeah. Yeah. But um, yeah, we'll see. But uh, <laughs> it's, it's, all, it's already set up with Guinness World Records. Um, they came back. I actually was going to do it on my own. But they came back and said, they can't do it on my own. It has to be with one other person and you have to flip alternatively. So uh, I've got a couple of people in mind. I'll be chasing them up in the next few months. Who, Eddie Hall, yeah? No, no, not yeah. him, no. <laughs> uh, he's a great guy. He might be amazing. I'm just not sure about the endurance side, but I could be wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It'd be peanuts to him, wouldn't it? Like, yeah. that would be easy. Uh, but that's incredible. So where, where can people find you, Paul, or, or your charity? So where, um, what's your web addresses? What's, what's your social handles and such? So we're called Head Up Charity. If you want to Google Head Up Charity, I'm sure you see lots of many different articles and stuff come up. Hopefully the website will come up first, which is head hyphen or head-up.org.uk. Um, we're on all the social media pages. So if you just type in Head Up Charity, it will come up. Um, our website has brochures, promo videos, graphic designs, um, different articles, all the links to everything you could think of, donations if you would like to make a donation. Um, it also has links to our contact details if you need to get in contact for any reason whatsoever. And you personally, what's your, what's your Instagram handle? Um, I'm Paul Minter UK Run. 
I think something like right. that. I'll I'll put all, I'll put all the links in uh, below anyway in the show notes so people can get in, uh, in touch. But uh, thank you, Paul. That's all my questions. Amazing. Thank you so much for having me on the show, and I appreciate all your listeners for for taking the time to listen. No, brilliant. I think they're going to take a lot of value from it. Like so you, you covered some really important, valuable life and resilience lessons there. So I'm really happy. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right, cheers, Paul. Bye. Bye. At Rockman, we provide the challenges, sportswear, content and community to motivate you to push your body, strengthen your mind and achieve your next level of health, fitness and mental resilience. You can sign up and become a member of the team at rockman.co.uk.